0: Just because we don't broadcast live on AMI-audio anymore doesn't mean we don't have love for the incredible reading programs that hit those airwaves. For example, Voices of the Walrus, which you can hear Sundays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. You're used to Don Dickinson previewing The Guardian this week. Well, little did you know, Don Dickinson is the producer of Voices of the Walrus as well, and is here to preview a couple of the articles. Hey, good morning, Don. Oh, Good right intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we gotta we gotta be honest with the people. We gotta be authentic. That, you know, just because we're not live on AMI audio doesn't mean we don't have love for our for our brother and sister station over there. We're siblings here.
1: Well, hopefully, yes.
0: <laughs> also, not to mention, because we still podcast, that's under the mighty umbrella of the AMI Audio Podcast Network. So you know, we're 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 still integrated, somewhat, somewhat speaking.
1: The, the same mothership, right? We're
0: all we're all pulling the rope in the same direction, Don. We're all pulling the mm-hmm. rope in the same direction. Let's jump into the first article that you have here called "No Room at the Top" by Angela Misri. According to the article, women are more likely to hold interim leadership roles in federal politics, but getting to the top remains a problem. So, Don, we're starting with you with an easy question today. Why are there still so few women leaders in Canadian politics?
1: Well the article goes into you know the relationship between as i say the interim le- uh, interim leader and the and the actual eventual leader of the party and it states that the interim leaders hold a strange position in politics because you know they're advancing to one of the highest uh, offices but it's really at a cost because the role has a built-in expiration date and i did not know this leaders are generally generally not allowed To um, run in the following race due to an unfair advantage that they have, few interim leaders end up making it to the top, or the you know the lead spot in the party. And as history has shown, the temporary leadership role is as high as most women make it. Mm -hmm. Now, when they asked various people uh, about this, they said that there are many theories why women are struggling to secure leadership positions. Um, Melanie Thompson, a political scientist at the University of Calgary, the commonly argued excuses that women have lower profiles or that they lack certain qualifications. And she cites various... people including uh, uh lisa rate who was incredibly qualified for the job uh, she had uh, this is the job that eventually went to andrew Scheer. Uh she had experience in three cabinet positions mm-hmm. in, and she could also uh, appeal broadly to many many voters outside of the party's base um, but after seven rounds of ballots rate never got past four percent of the vote, and that was just that blew me away.
0: Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, we don't need to look far, Don. Even even more recently in that party, we had Ronna Ambrose. Uh, yeah. Um, follow up, follow up for Aaron. Uh, uh, not for Aaron O'Toole. He, she followed up for Andrew Scheer before Aaron O'Toole uh, took that yeah. position. So we don't need to look far. I mean, even just we led the show today with uh, with the story, but uh, Elizabeth May re- returning to run for the helm of the Green right. Party, right? So it, it, it does speak to the way in which that federal politics certainly illustrates this. I, off the top my head, I can't think of that many uh, women who've held those roles in a in a significant, long standing position, other than say maybe Alexa McDonough.
1: Yeah, uh, the Conservatives, through many of their name changes, have had twenty two different leaders, according to the the Library of uh, Parliament's political parties, of which one, Kim Campbell was a woman, and seven interim leaders, three of whom were women. Mm-hmm. The NDP has had eight leaders, two of whom were women, and one interim leader. And then the Liberals, for all their uh, talk of political gender parity, have had 13 leaders and four interim leaders over nearly 150 years. Wow. And none of them were women. Wow.
0: Well, Don, so we're, go. we're going to be talking on the news panel tomorrow more about this Elizabeth May news. So how about we leave this story for now and move on to something a little bit more for fun the toy industry's <laughs> billion dollar quest survival of the funnest by matthew braga is the article don what are we talking about in regards to uh, the boost the pandemic has given certain kinds of toys
1: Well, you know, this happened in our family, and uh, I guess it happened generally across the country. Very early on in the pandemic, when everybody was spending more time at home, parents said, you know, I don't want my kids on screens constantly. I don't want them inside constantly doing you know, digital stuff and staring at, at at screens, and they said, "Let's go back to old time stuff when it comes to games." And so there was a big increase in what's called uh, the activities segment of the industry, things like puzzles and plush. And building toys and games in general. Games were, of course, absolutely huge, huge. So basically, yeah, the parents went back to their childhoods, and they got out or went out and bought uh, Monopoly and Pictionary and Uno. One called Uno. I don't know that game. It's a a card
0: game. It's a card game. Uh, If you asked me to explain how to play it, I would not be able to help you. But uh, it's a card game. (laughs)
1: Oh, OK. Well, I didn't know that one. So, yeah, they, it, they really decided that that's that's the way it was going to be. And there was astronomical increases in sales.
0: It's it's interesting, Don, that we're talking about nostalgia here, though, because this is probably stuff the parents like to play with versus what their kids might to play like might, might like to play with.
1: Yes, exactly, Dave. So parents were often um, uh, choosing those types of games because it was a nostalgic element of their childhood. They wanted to share something from their own, um, you know, youth, or they wanted to give their um, uh, children, something that they maybe lacked in their particular youth, you know, um, especially now, it says in the article, in a digital world, there is something about analog toys. Yeah. Parents, parents see them as desirable. In fact, when Fisher-Price, I love this story, <laughs> when Fisher-Price tried to modernize its iconic toy phone okay you remember that old one with the rotary and everything like that you know so uh by removing the rotary dial there was an absolute consumer revolt and sales fell drastically (laughs) so they had to bring back that that rotary phone i thought that was great because here's a kid i mean imagine that dave here's a kid and the only thing they've ever seen is a cell phone yeah but their toy is a rotary phone
0: we're giving them uh, false expectations for what, what later in life is going to be if they're only playing with rotary phones. Uh, Don, <laughs> I, I, I think we don't necessarily want to spoil all the secret sauce here because, of course, part of this article is about the billion-dollar quest and sort of finding yes. the new toy. But you know what? Yes. Let's encourage people to actually listen to the show to actually find yeah. out about the quest side of this. But I want to yes. end on a fun question for you. Do you remember what you loved to play with as a kid?
1: Oh, yeah. I th- you know, Dave, I think that question is, uh, I think everybody remembers because that is such a, an interesting time in your life, you know, when you are actually in control. That's what they say, you know, psychologists say that kids are never in control. They're always being told what to eat and what to wear and what to do and everything. But when they play, they're in control. And so those toys mean the world to them, you know, be it Meccano or, 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 or whatever it is. Now, in my particular case, Spirograph, oh my God, my, when my mother bought me a Spirograph, I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I truly just love that, you know. And in my very, very early childhood, I had the same experience with the phones. I had those rotary phones And, uh, I remember I was absolutely crushed when my mother gave them away, you know, she got to the point, she got to the point where she thought I was too old for them, you know, and she said, you know, they're going to, you know, whoever, your cousin. And I was like, what?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I don't remember when I was little, little, but I remember that I used to love GI Joes and Hot Wheels because even as a kid, I was basic. I was super basic, but with Hot Wheels, I always, I never quite understood precisely what I was doing. Like I was just making the cars go vroom, vroom, right? But I'll never forget this one day my uncle came to visit from Toronto and he saw the Hot Wheels and he saw the tracks that we had and he saw some of the other doohickeys and gears that I didn't know what they were for. And I remember he built this phenomenal track in the basement that had like ups and downs and ramps and curves. And I always thought to myself, Wow, Uncle Ron, you've got life figured out. You know how to make you know how to elevate these Hot Wheels.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly, you know. And it was so great back in the day because adults enjoyed playing uh, those kinds of basic games with kids, you know. I mean, what parent hasn't sat down on the floor and built something in Meccano, you know, yeah, and, or, yeah. or 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 building blocks, you know? Uh and of course Barbie. Oh my gosh, you know, Barbie. <laughs> Geez, you know, that was uh, I was I was absolutely enamored of that toy. So I
0: I was trying to help my friend's two year old build a dinosaur puzzle a couple of weeks ago. I, I realized very quickly that two year olds think about building puzzles in a much different way than I think about building puzzles. How so? Uh, She didn't seem to really care about what specifically had to go where, whereas I was (laughs) a little more concerned with actually doing it properly. And when she went down for her nap, guess who finished the puzzle just for the sake of his own OCD?
1: (laughs) Well... I'm glad you enjoyed the experience, Dave. Of
0: course, of course. Uh, my friend was delighted that that I kept his daughter occupied for about 45 minutes. He was like, I will make you lunch for doing that. I'm like, this is a win-win for everybody. Uh, Don, thank you for this. Always great catching up.
1: Okay, Dave, take care.
0: Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-TV.